I make art and or I make things that get put in an art context but I think the idea is to is to make things that question and challenge art but maybe that's what art does anyway. Welcome to Art for Breakfast with me Charlie Hall. Joining me this morning from Little House is artist Gavin Turk. People say, like, oh, so what do you do? I say, I'm an artist. They say, oh, what kind of materials do you work in? I go, I just work in ideas. And then they go, oh, and then everything goes quiet. Following his solo show at Damien Hurst's Newport Street Gallery, Gavin joins me to discuss the show, his career and future plans. Hello. <laughs> Good morning. We're here really as one of these continuing... Uh, art for breakfast and essentially I've asked Gavin to come along here because maybe all of you uh, have been familiar and have visited his um, show that was on at Damien Hurst's Newport Street Gallery. It was a three-month show. Um, I think it was more than that. It's the end of November. I think it was four, four months. It yeah, was four months. November to March. Essentially, the show, would you describe it as a retrospective? No. <laughs> Don't um, give me a hard time. <laughs> How would you describe the show? It had work of mine across the period. I suppose it wasn't... It would be wrong to say it was a re retrospective, but I think it certainly had, and I think it was great that it did, it certainly had a lot of early works that probably are my most important works. Yeah. I mean, do you think by using the term retrospective, then that sort of suggests something that it's the sort of you know, career end or looking back on a career? Uh, I mean, retrospective is, is an interesting word to, to use generally in relationship to artist's work, because obviously, I suppose, art itself, making art, is, is a sort of retrospective process in as much as I think that like, artists make art and it probably is all a series of self-portraits and it probably always has this sort of sense of retrospectiveness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of, a, a writer that I'm very fond of, a person called Thomas Wolfe, who wrote a fantastic book called Look Homeward Angel. The, the introduction to that, he says, it's impossible, you know, even though this work that I'm um, doing is not autobiographical, it's impossible to take autobiography out of the stuff that one does. But I think that's also the case with, like, philosophers. Sure. You know, I think that even with something like philosophy, which is, in effect, like, has a sort of objectivity about it, um, that also is, like, autobiography. You know, yeah. great philosophy is also a kind of autobiography. So um, I think it is interesting to to um, start this conversation with a sort of an argument about what's <laughs> retrospective. <laughs> but... Uh, one of the most incredible things about doing the show, and I don't know if you did all get to see the show at, at Newport Street, one of the things that happened, obviously, is that um, here was an exhibition of art that was owned by Damien Hirst. And, you know, it's difficult for an artist to go, oh, God, you know, I, all my work is somehow owned by another artist. Oh, gosh, what does that feel like? Um, it, it makes me feel quite sort of strange. You know, I feel like I'm looking down 
my career down the other end of a telescope in, in some ways. But obviously, in other ways, when you think about art and, and how it has to move through and move on and, and exist, I mean, I do make art for audience. It's, it's not something that I do as a kind of therapy. I make it under the understanding that there is an audience. I make it for an audience. Um, I think, you know, if I was on a desert island, I would fiddle around and do stuff, but it probably wouldn't be art. And maybe it would take a boat of other people coming along going, oh, art on the island, the island culture. But really, I think that on my own, just fiddling around, it's not really art. I think, like, for me, art is very self-consciously about audience. And all too often, you, I go and visit exhibitions and I'm totally and utterly baffled. I, don't, I can't access the art and I go, ah, I think I'm supposed to be the audience for this art and I'm not the audience for it. And I go, oh, why is this art failing? Somehow, like, art has to kind of go somewhere, has to go through a journey. Is, is it a conversation, do you think? I mean, do you think that the, that the art that you make... I mean, for your degree show at the Royal College of Art, this story has sort of become almost an urban myth, although it is true, that you created one of those uh, English heritage roundels commemorating Gavin Turk, sculptor, worked here. Um, and that was all that was in the um, degree show. It feels funny, like, chatting about, like, something that happened in 1991. It makes me feel so, so old. I mean, in a way, one of, the, one of the great things, the sort of legends of this work is obviously that I managed to fail my, my MA for it. And, the, and really the reason why I failed my MA is because the rector of the Royal College, a guy called Jocelyn Stevens, was just about to become the head of the English heritage. And uh, no one at the Royal College knew he was t he'd taken and accepted the, this new role. And he was going around the Royal College degree show with his new English heritage friends. And they came across this plaque and he thought I'd found out something about his future and got very paranoid and then decided... Oh, I didn't know anything about it. No, I was not. I'm not I wasn't in, in the faintest bit interested in what Justin Stevens was about to do. But uh, he just threw his toys out of the pram and, uh, and basically threatened people with their jobs if, if they didn't just agree with him. So, I, I mean, obviously it was really upsetting for me to like go through that whole two years and then get failed my MA. But, you know, in terms... Of, I mean, and maybe he knew it. Actually, it was the best thing that could have happened. You know, because I managed to get a loads of press and publicity for not getting my award. And people kept putting up this picture of the plaque as the work. And I just had my name on it, you know, so it was really good hype, you know. And, and I think converting stuff, that's what art is, I think. One of the things that art does is it takes something from the outside or takes something that's somehow seen as less than and it kind of reconverts it and makes it something that has credibility, importance and significance. And this is one of the elements of what you call ready-made or found art, is that something from the street, a rubbish bag or a cardboard box, you sort of simply, I mean not simply, but it's, it's reinterpreted so that an everyday object is given a different meaning. Obviously for me, uh, I, I sort of represent a lot of what could be seen as like everyday or even like thrown away objects. So for instance, I made a series of works which is like a bronze cast of a polystyrene cup which had the traces of tea in it. And so for me, I, I think it was about cultural identity 
Um, so suddenly, like, whether I like it or not, even if I would paint a painting of a cup of tea, it would be seen through the filter of being a British artist. And so, therefore, I was very interested in this idea of a tourism or cultural identity. And one of the things that, that the Brits do is they drink cups of tea. So this tea thing was very important as a sort of... It had cultural significance. And then I wanted to combine that with the idea of taking the cup of tea outside. So we would take the cup of tea into the landscape. Again, like a British kind of preoccupation with the landscape. So you've got Constable, Turner, uh, Henry Moore. This idea that British art is, is generally, it's, it's great moments uh, to do with the great outdoors. Um, so we've taken our cup of tea and we're walking around looking at the landscape and then we're throwing it away. And so we, we look at disposability of our time. Uh, we look at the environment in terms of how materials move through the environment. We look at our cultural cliches. And then I would take this cup and I would cast it into bronze and paint it back. So I would then, in some ways, I'd be quoting Jasper Johns, who famously cast two beer cans and then painted them back to look like these Valentine beer cans. But then, in other ways, I'd be trying to kind of play with the idea of looking. I'd be trying to say, maybe you can't see the art. You know, maybe you actually need to pick this cup up in order to, to sort of see it, you know? And so it, it tricks you. And then where are you looking? Are you looking at the surface of the paint? Are you looking at the bronze inside? Are you looking at the trace of tea in the bottom of the cup, which signifies the fact that the cup's been used and you wouldn't want to use it again? Are you looking at the fact that it's cheap? You know, when you bought the cup of tea, you didn't even realise that really what you were paying for was the polystyrene thing itself, which was just simply the container. But, but making that out of bronze... Is that, I mean, bronze, historical terms, in art historical terms, is a very important material that signifies something else. It signifies a heroic quality, monumental, it's expensive. So to make a polystyrene teacup or a thrown-away mm. burger package mm. out of bronze, you're sort of playing with it. I mean, that, I mean, I mean I, I actually, like, you are absolutely right. It is a kind of a burger container, but... It was supposed to be like more like chips, right. which was supposed to be like fish and chips. So I've got some of, I've got one that's like, it's got the remnants of mushy peas in it. Um, and so it was again, like it was supposed to be this sort of cultural containers. And I think the bronze thing is something where what you do is you, you sort of fix it forever. You give it this sort of permanent, something that, tr that then can time travel. This is the way that we understand history, is through things that have travelled through time and through storytelling. But I, I, again, like looking at the way that things are made and, and how things come into the world, you know, and unpacking those things, yeah. I think is something that excites me and interests me, and it's something that I try to put into my work when and I move trademark. forward. And your trademark. Trademark is another element of your art. Whilst sort of memorialising your name on a blue plaque was the beginning of something. I mean, tell us a little bit about Gavin Turk as a trademark. Again, it's, it's, it's something that has sort of preoccupied me, I, I think, right from the beginning of thinking about the idea of being an artist was the idea that somehow artists have to have signatures, right? So we go to a museum or we go to a gallery. As much as looking at the art itself, we're also looking at the signatures. It then allows us to bring a kind of oeuvre or a body of other work and in a way like a kind of a context to that work. And I think it's that thing of like when I was starting off, I got quite kind of caught up with this idea of the signature. And the signature fascinated me because it always seemed to be strangely kind of opposed to the art. I mean, I always have this little story that I tell, which is where you've got two paintings which are more or less of the same 
scene, a landscape scene with a, with a road going off into the distance. And uh, they're both by the same artist, but one has a signature on it and the other one doesn't. The one with the signature is much more valuable than the one that doesn't. But it always seems strange that the one with the signature on it is the one where your eye is actually drawn to the signature, not to the creation of space that's being created in the picture. That actually, like, the one with the signature on it, in a way, is much less satisfactory than the one that doesn't have the signature. Like, the signature is a kind of graffiti. It's like a, a, someone putting a, a screen in front of the painting saying... I, the artist, was the last person alive to see this picture before I ruined it by signing my name in the corner. But um, supposedly the signature is a kind of uh, trademark or a, a, a sort of a trust, i.e. I authorise this work to be a work by me. Almost like by signifying it, by giving it that signature, you almost relegate it to, dare I say it, the bin... But signatures then became, I mean, for those of us who, who went to the show, your signature then becomes a work of art in itself. There was a room full of paintings which are me signing my name over and over again on large canvases. And I do it from a distance, standing over the canvas, and it looks like Jackson Pollock. So when you first look at the room, it just looks like a room with these Jackson Pollock paintings in it. The strange thing is that someone said, what would you think if... Because you're playing with this idea that obviously it's not Jackson Pollock and we know it's not Jackson Pollock, but what would you say if someone came into this room and then they went, oh, so this is the guy who does those splatty paintings, i.e. they actually think that this Gavin Turk is the person who's hanging in the <laughs> National <laughs> Gallery yeah. in, the, in, the, in the Abstract Expressionist show, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that they get it right round the other way, that in a way, like, my critique kind of becomes not a critique, it becomes, in a way what it's trying to kind of unpick, it becomes that. Well, Damien Hirst, as he owns those pictures, has bought those pictures as works of art in their own right, even though they're multi-layered. I mean, you're, I mean I, whenever I think of your work in terms of this multi-layering, um, you know, pop, the, the layers are Sid Vicious in the video of My Way, spoofing... Elvis as a gunslinger, painted by Andy Warhol, and then in Madame Tussauds. I mean, that's, uh, have I got that right? Or an, in a vitrine to make it art? I don't think a vitrine makes it art. I mean, the, the vitrine is, is a strange thing. One of the wonderful things that happened at the ex exhibition in Newport Street Gallery, which was actually called Who, What, When, Where, How and Why, was that in the last room there was discarded objects that were just literally shown on the floor. And so there wasn't the plinths, there wasn't yeah. the vitrines. It was a quick conversation. It was like, how should we show these things? And I said, well, obviously, ideally, they would go on the floor, but I think it's going to be too difficult, and I think maybe we should put them on plinths. This is what I, I normally have to accept, that that's what's going to happen to these works. And Damien said, no, it's fine. We'll put them on the floor, and I'll have, you know, I'll have loads of people standing there. line around them, yeah. And uh, no line. Right. No line. So literally, they were just there on the floor, and, and um, this was something that, that probably could only really happen in this private uh, showing scenario. I mean, like, I have a, a, a nomad sculpture, which is a figure in a sleeping bag, which is in a Elizabeth Price exhibition, which is touring around the country. And everywhere they put this work, they put these kind of crazy line around it, like, you know, like this is like a crime scene or something. And then they put, you know, please do not touch, really big. And I'm like, 
whoa, they, you know, this is a lot. It, it looks terrible. I mean, it looks really bad. And when I say, please, can you just get rid of the line and think, they say, oh, but the insurance company. Oh, the insurance company. I'm like, the insurance company? Wow, I didn't realize the insurance company were artists. When did they become artists? God. Mm. So, you know, and this is the thing, like public institutions, they can't do this stuff. They can't actually just show a work on the floor like that. So stuff like that was amazing. I mean, I went into the, the room with these bits and pieces on the floor and, uh, you know, and there must have been about 30 people in there. It was busy with people and everyone was just quietly, like, standing at a distance, <laughs> almost like engaging with one little thing on the floor, sort of like stroking it, staring and looking and quietly contemplating. And I looked at this room with these people all in different places, like quietly contemplating objects on the floor. And I just went, this is amazing. It, you know, this is what I make art for. It gave me such a thrill. I was like, wow, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, that just made me feel so kind of like, I take responsibility for that. That's good. I like that. In, in, <laughs> in terms of, I mean, I think we're prob probably heading for the end, but in terms of heading for something the end. like... <laughs> Of the, We've only of just the, started. <laughs> um, in terms of something like pop, do, do you presume that everybody understands the no. cultural landmarks in order to understand it? I mean, it's, a, it's always a question that uh, lots of people say, oh, you know, the trouble with your work is you have to, like, know about art history and you have to know about the references in order to really fully understand it. My response to that is uh, I think that people do know a lot about art even though they might not be able to remember the names of artists. I think that people are much more expertise in art than, than they even themselves know. And what I really liked about like, something like the pop sculpture is that people would see it, and they, like, even if they hadn't seen it before, they'd go, oh, I know this. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't know this. It's like the idea of trying to, again, like trying to create different phases of looking so that you might, you feel kind of like connected to this thing. Yeah, well, without, there's a proliferation um, of images. I, was, I mean, people, like, as you say, people are generally massively familiar, even on a sort of instinctive level, with images. With, you know, I mean, for instance, the, the, you know, if we're talking about pop, the, the classic Andy Warhol Elvis as a, as a cowboy screen print. Yeah, it, I mean, it, is, it is embedded I mean, within it, er, pretty well everybody's. I mean, it is quite interesting that because my work references other artists' work, quite often it gets used in teaching syllabus. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because what it does is it gives you the art, but then it also like gives you some Discuss, places. It yes. then gives you some, you know, it gives you other artists to, to think about. So, you know, there, there is a point like where my project is then getting kind of... Uh, re, 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 reused. Regurgitated. <laughs> Has anybody got a question that they dare to ask? <laughs> Uh, just a question about process. Um, just coming from a personal perspective, why I'm doing lots of bronze casting at the moment, yeah. um, do you still have time to actually get involved in the making process or is it just no longer... It's such a long, drawn-out process. Yeah. Do you still have a chance I'm to... fascinated by the making process and it does inform me and help me with, with the work that I make, I think. Um, I have to confess that with some works which I make almost like in a series, so I've made quite a lot of... Uh, pieces which are like this black uh, bin bag that then is painted to look like a filled uh, bin bag. Now, I'm not so involved in the process. That kind of... I, you know, I have a studio. I, I work with, like, eight people in my studio, and that kind of... that Something like that piece is more or less done 
through the studio. I mean, bronze casting is, is, is difficult to get really involved in the process because bronze casting happens in a foundry, which is someone else's studio. So I go there and I love seeing the pouring and I, you know, and I, I have some, you know, normally I go and check the waxes and, but it, there's only so much you can do in, in that respect. I mean, I think that the, to be honest, I'm in a really luxurious position of being able to pick and choose what part of the process I want to do or what part of the process I want to kind of get someone else to do. Um, but I, I, think it's, I think it is fascinating, the idea of how art gets made. You know, at what point is some, can I say that something belongs to me or is authorised by me? You know, in a lot of ways, I think I'm making work which, you know, which is, you know, who made this? Discuss. You know, in a lot of ways, I, I try and sort of like detach the artistic quality, almost like from its credibility. So that, you know, sometimes I make things that are fake in order to ask questions about what's real. You, you could say that a lot of this is, it's surreal, surreal art, because it's got a, a humour to it, that it's not a bin bag, that it's, it's, it's bronze. Is it bronze? It is. It's painted bronze. It's so painful. once again, you've got something that's, that's become heroic, Whilst it's just, you know, you see them I see outside my house every Thursday yeah. lining the streets. I mean, Which in one terms of these of, is a valuable yeah. piece of work? Oh, well, I know. I mean, in terms of signature, it's quite a strange one. I mean, like, the other, the other uh, night I was woken up at, like, 3.30 in the morning because my phone went ding or something like that. And, <laughs> and, uh, and someone who, a friend of mine, was really drunk, had just taken a photograph and sent it to me of a bin bag outside someone's house. Like, I saw this and thought of you. I'm like, you just woke me up in the middle of the night. I mean, it, it has to be cute, though, in a way. Because it's like, how nice is that? Like, he's wandering around totally drunk and he's seeing bin bags and thinking of me. You know. Uh, another like... question? <laughs> right to the back, Kim. Hello, hi, Gavin. Um, you spoke at the, at the beginning, I don't know if it's sort of a throwaway comment or if you, if you stand by it, about um, art failing if the audience can't connect with it. Mm. What are your thoughts on, on, on like critiquing art in it being a success, it not being, su- not being a success, things like the turn of prize and, and, and kind of critiquing all creative disciplines in, in, in that way of it, of it being good or not? Yeah, in terms of like good... Like, unfortunately, we get into this thing of, like, good versus bad. It's, like, moral. It's like a, it has a sort of mora, a moral dimension to it. Um, I do a lot of judging for art exhibitions and awards, and, you know, I've, I've done many in my, in my time. And um, it's, it's super difficult, and it's not really anything I really like to get involved in, to sort of, like, have to compare and contrast and say, this is good art, this is bad art. You know, and somehow it almost defeats the whole point. But then at the same time, like quite often, I would say, you know, you have a, a panel of people and the people come from different disciplines and everyone sits there and then they, they show uh, the art in front of everybody. And quite often, I'm not always, but quite often, everyone goes, yeah, this is good. Yeah, this is, oh, the, no, no, get this away from me. We seem to come down on quite similar work although we can't write a book about it although we can't explain what it is somehow there's a quality or there is an ability for all of us to recognize that one picture is best sort of better than another and we all kind of agree or even though we come from totally different uh, walks so i think your question is absolutely valid and it's a question that we always and all of us will have about how you how you measure with art we, we all have it 
but also we can't answer it. Has it been a bugbear of yours in your career that, of, of people uh, critiquing your work? So I think that my artistic licence, you know, i.e. What I, what I give myself, is the idea that actually art maybe works in different time frames. So, you know, you get shouted out of town, like for something you've done one day, and then a couple of years later, everybody, you know, welcomes you back in because they get it or, or, or the opposite, you know. So I think everything's subject to change. And um, that means also be free and be just to follow your whatever it is, your, your destiny. Da <laughs> Gavin, thanks very much. That's all okay. Thanks, Gavin. This episode of Art for Breakfast was brought to you by Soho House and Radio Wolfgang. It was presented by Charlie Hall and featured artist Gavin Turk. <laughs>